Father our God, how blessed we are to have you as our Father. And how blessed, even all the more, that we have a Father who cares for us and looks after us and has spoken to us. You've spoken to us through your word, and Lord, as we hear it now and hear it read and preached, may our hearts be open uh, to hear what you have got to say to us this morning. Amen. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's wonderful to be joining you again at uh, Trinity Mount Barker and Trinity Victor Harbour as we keep looking at Romans chapter 8. And as we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for this wonderful uh, chapter, a chapter that points us to your promises and to the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray that you'll fill our hearts with hope and confidence in our relationship with you, even when we experience pain and we struggle. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The death of Anne-Marie Smith hit the news just a few weeks ago. She was 54 years old and had cerebral palsy. But it was the horrible circumstances surrounding her death that made the news. She lived in her own home at Kensington Park. She was dependent on a carer for all her needs. But the carer, who was meant to look after her, had grossly neglected her. She'd apparently been left stuck in a cane chair for 24 hours a day for the last year of her life. She died from severe septic shock and multi-organ failure. She was malnourished and suffered severe pressure sores on her backside that had just been left untreated for months. Understandably, there's been horror expressed that such a vulnerable person, someone without a voice of her own, could be so ill-treated by the person who was meant to care for her. And, and while this sort of thing sickens us, it doesn't surprise us. We know that abuse and neglect and inhumanity, they're all too common. We know our world, it's, it's awash with pain and heartache. And we see it when people cruelly mistreat each other. Uh, we see it in other areas. We see it when people suffer because of natural disasters or coronavirus or sickness or pain. But when we turn to the Bible, especially when we come to Romans chapter 8, we discover that the reality is that this world is, is flawed. It's the outworking of a world that's out of step with its maker. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration or futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. 
And so given that the whole world is caught up in this struggle with pain and suffering, is there any advantage to being a Christian at this point? Are there any uh, member benefits? Uh, I'm a member of the coffee club, and for a nominal fee, they send me a card, this card. It announces that I'm part of their VIP club, which sounds uh, very prestigious. All it means is that I get second cups of coffee for free. Now, if you're a believer, you're a member of the family of God. So do you get any fringe benefits as you make your way through life with its challenges when it comes to heartache and grief and decay? You know, maybe a, you know, a bit less pain or less disease than average, and you know, the option of dying in your sleep. Now, at this point, I want to say there's some good news and some bad news. Right? Firstly, the bad news. If you're a follower of Jesus, it seems that in one respect, you're actually worse off. I mean, you'll endure suffering that those who don't believe are spared. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says, We're children of God if we share in the sufferings of Christ. Or in a place like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, we're told everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We believers were not only caught up in the suffering that occurs because we live in a world that's subjected to what verse 20 describes as futility or frustration, but we also suffer persecution from people who oppose us because we're followers of Jesus. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, then you won't get this flack. But let me say, there's also some good news as well. You see, we have been given the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 summarises the great truths of the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. Our sin and the judgment we deserve, the mercy of God sending his own son to rescue us, the great doctrine of justification by faith, and the way God helps us to serve him in a fallen world. But when we get to Romans 8, suddenly there's a striking emphasis shift, and it's especially focused on the Holy Spirit. For the first seven chapters, there are only two mentions of the Holy Spirit. But now, here in chapter 8, there are over 20 references to the Holy Spirit and his work in us. In Romans 8, verse 2, we're introduced to the Spirit of life. In Romans 8, verse 11, we're told that the Holy Spirit lives in those who trust in Jesus. So here's the question that I want us to focus on for the next few minutes. How does the Holy Spirit help us as we live in and as we experience a world of pain and heartache and struggle? I mean, what difference does he make? Well, let's dive in. We have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's what we pick up in, in verse 23. Believers, we, we live in a groaning world and we also groan inwardly. But look at verse 23 with me. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're told here that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, this first fruits idea, it's, it's borrowed from the world of agriculture. 
a while ago I was listening to an ABC radio program and they interviewed a strawberry farmer from the south of Adelaide. Now, I expect this wasn't riveting listening except for other strawberry farmers, but I remember the farmer saying that it was around November when the first strawberries were ready for picking and if everything went well, then they keep picking them right the way through to May. The strawberries in November, they are the first fruits. Now, what does it mean that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit? Well, back in chapter 8, verse 9, it talks about the Spirit of God living in us believers. And it means that we have some of the benefits of being followers of the Lord Jesus now, but there are benefits that we also have to wait for. So now, in verse 6, it says we have peace with God. Now it says we're able to fight sin in our lives, in verse 13. And now in verse 16, we're told that the Spirit confirms in us that we are beloved and adopted children of God. But we don't have it all yet. Right now, we're engaged in a struggle with sin in our lives. But one day we won't be. Right now, we know what it's like to have bodies that experience ageing and pain and decay and decline. But one day, our bodies will be raised from the dead and they will be glorious, renewed and not subject to decline. And right now, we do experience pain. We know what it is to feel emotional distress and heartache. But one day, every tear will be wiped from our eyes by God. We still groan now, but we have the Holy Spirit. It's a bit like when you sign the contract for a house and you pay the deposit. The house is legally yours, but you aren't living in it yet. The Spirit is God's deposit, assuring us of our relationship with him our relationship with God because of all he's done for us through his son. Jesus, he's paid the full price. We aren't in heaven yet, but the Spirit assures us that God has done everything necessary to secure that final destination. We have the Holy Spirit, and therefore we have certain hope about the future. It is so important to understand the content of the hope that we have. It's because we we live in a world that's full of false hopes, a world that encourages us to invest in in temporary hope. It's a world where we're, we're encouraged to put hope in our body, in this body. If you spend enough caring for your body, you can slow down the impact of aging. And if it does catch up with you, then there's always the option of surgical intervention. Uh, Hope is invested in this life, in this world. And so when coronavirus comes along, it's no wonder that people are fearful. After all, if this life is all you've got, you need to preserve it at all costs. It's a world that places its hope on economic well-being. It's interesting now that in South Australia, with the fear of the coronavirus dying down a bit, we've reverted to the normal priorities of our Western existence. You know, what about the economy and our financial security and our lifestyle? But putting our hope in this world is an empty hope. 
because it cannot endure. But for the followers of Jesus, our hope is not empty. Christianity, it's not built around pep talks to bolster your confidence. It's not a philosophy to lift your sagging spirits when you look in the mirror and you see your sagging body. We've got a hope that's founded on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God has poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts, confirming the truth of his promises. We have, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, he is living in us. And he who raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that lives in you. But I do want to say that there are some who they hold themselves out as Christians, but they undermine our confidence in what Jesus has done. They put forward teaching that actually robs Christians of hope. Some who say they're Christians, they they say there's no heaven or hell. There's no sin that needs dealing with. But of course, if, if you get rid of any future hope, then the only thing you can work for is something in this world, you know, for justice and healing now. Now, they're good things to strive for, but they can never ultimately be achieved. It's because this world has been subjected to futility. I mean, we can never ultimately get rid of injustice and hardship in a fallen world. That isn't Christianity. It's just secular humanism. There are others who hold themselves out as believers but they think we can actually experience all the blessings of heaven now. Uh, They say that if you trust in Jesus now, then you'll experience freedom from pain and suffering, healing, wealth, you know, a level of ideal enjoyment because that's what God wants for his children. But again, this strips our longing for heaven. It actually strips us of our hope. And it totally ignores what the Bible says about pain now. It skips over verses like Romans 8, verse 17, that promise that those who follow the Lord Jesus will suffer now, that we will groan now. Be clear, the Bible says we have blessings now in our secure relationship with God, but we wait with confident hope for the day when suffering in this world will be ended. God doesn't promise physical healing now but he does heal us with his promises. But in this part of the Bible we're looking at today, not only do we groan with hope, but we're also told that the spirit groans along with us. There are times when you you suffer pain or you feel deep grief or the lowness of depression. And when that happens, do you find yourself asking the question, where is God in all this? Maybe you know what it's like to feel that sense of abandonment by God. Is God just impassively at a distance observing a struggle? Of course, when you read the Bible, you know that nothing could be further from the truth. When we consider uh, how God has sent his own son into this world, God himself entering into our world and embracing our humanity, including our suffering and pain, 
uh, when the Lord Jesus dies on the cross, all to give us hope. We know that he's not far off. But also, when we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we read this. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Well, literally, it's, it's the groanings that can't be expressed with words. Do you know that experience? Sometimes I found myself in such pain that it was actually hard to know how to pray. Uh, Before our eldest son was born, Ben, uh, Sue and I experienced a stillbirth. And I remember as I took Sue home from the hospital, uh, that sense of feeling quite just gutted Uh, was supposed to be going home with our son. But instead, we left empty-handed and empty-hearted. How do you pray? I mean, what do you pray for? I remember saying to God, I have no idea why this has happened. I know you're good. I know you're powerful. And I'm just holding on to those truths even when I can't see how it's worked out here. I think every believer knows that experience. What we're being told here in Romans chapter 8 is that God never abandons us. We are never left alone. His Holy Spirit dwells in us and assures us of his love and his goodness even in the hardest of times. And not only that, the Holy Spirit groans for us and with us in our pain. The Spirit turns our pain and our tears and our agony into prayers that are exactly right, articulate and spot on. The Bible is such an honest book There's no sugarcoating of the realities and the struggles of life in this world. There's no avoidance of the hard edge of suffering. Jesus, God himself, he came into this world. He endured suffering. He died on the cross because of our sin. God knows all about pain. In our world, it's awash with pain. And Christians are not spared it. We don't get a free pass when it comes to grief and heartache. But we do know that while we groan now, there is the promise of glory to come and the pain of life now, it will pale by comparison. And this has been secured for us by the promise of God and his actions in the Lord Jesus. But what about now? You know, when it feels like God is a long way off. Friends, we are never alone. In our pain, God groans with us. And even when we're running on empty and we're at a loss for words, the Holy Spirit steps in 
and he takes our inarticulate groans to the very throne of God himself. Friends, we're not spared pain, but we are never, ever alone. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you sent your son into this world. He, he gave his life on a cross for our sins to draw us near to you. And Father, thank you that we're not alone. You sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in our lives, to assure us of all the key things about our relationship with you and the promises for the future. But thank you it also means that we're never alone now. Even in the hardest times, the times where we groan and struggle, your Holy Spirit takes our inarticulate groans and struggles and brings them into your very presence. Father, we thank you that we're never abandoned, but you are faithful and good always. Father, help us to cling on to these truths as we press on in your service in this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.